0: Welcome. I'm Lori Lee Binstock, host of a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. My search for alternative healing from trauma for my own childhood sexual abuse led me to so many different modalities, including EMDR, somatic experiencing, brain spotting, neurofeedback. You know, I could really just go on, um, but nothing intrigued me as much as psychedelic assisted therapy, which includes MDMA, LSD, psilocybin, and ketamine, among others. And I have actually experienced MDMA-assisted therapy in a controlled setting, and I have experienced LSD and mushrooms recreationally in my teens. I don't necessarily encourage that, but I invited Eric Osborne. He's a founder of Pledge, a U.S.-based nonprofit dedicated to providing legal psilocybin-assisted therapy to those in need at a charitable rate, and that's among many titles
1: of yours. I have it, my hands in a few pots I would say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what you 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 focus on psilocybin. What got you into that and why was that important for you?
1: It really started with a love of nature. I've just always been out in the forest. I grew up in the, you know, hills of Kentucky and I uh, just have always had a real intimate connection with nature. So mushrooms came into my life early on just out of curiosity and then I did get into psilocybin recreationally and then as you kind of you know play around with it it starts to get deeper and deeper you start to trust the met the the mushrooms more maybe you take more mushrooms and then it's you know you get deeper and you find that you're getting getting some real healing out of it and it's not just a recreational experience and so uh, as that progressed then you know I've always had a, a a deep desire just to help my fellow humans and I have found mushrooms overall and psilocybin for sure but i, I feel like Mushrooms, in general, are some of the most powerful medicines that we have on this planet, and so my all of my work is is devoted to uh, some kind of mycological endeavor.
0: You do therapy-assisted psilocybin.
1: So, I for seven years I ran myco meditations, which is a uh, therapeutic retreat in Jamaica. It was the first of in the world of um, psilocybin retreats uh i started that in 2013 and then i recently moved back to the states to focus on pledge kind of kind of got burnt out I, I worked with a lot of very very deep trauma in very very deep psychedelics uh, states and uh it just you know just it was time for me to kind of redirect my energy but it's been six months now and i'm feeling very much feeling the call to uh, start working with individuals again and we're actually in the process of uh, setting up a legal civil seven church here in the US, uh, where we can be of service to people at a much more affordably and closer to home and kind of in a, in a, a little bit of a different context that I think will benefit people more overall.
0: And I do want to get into that, but you know, I found your your story very interesting because you have been doing psilocybin work for quite some time, mm-hmm. and and it's decriminalized in some states, including here in D.C. But I know that in 2015 you were actually arrested.
1: Yeah, I was. I was. Uh, then I th- I thought it was unfortunate, but I found out. You know, as time's gone on that it's really been a great benefit because that's what forced me into the the, working with the public. I had been doing underground therapy or, you know, I never considered it therapy. Then I was just helping people. I was just being a support to people. Uh, And really, it's the it's the mushrooms that are the therapy. You know, we are just a support for the people as they go through the experience and after their experience, helping process information that comes up. Uh, But I was arrested. Uh, Basically, I was reported uh, and, um, you know, that was very trying time in in my life. But like I said, it ultimately led to some real, real beauty. There is
0: an underground psychedelic society who Mm -hmm. do believe that it is important for this medicine to to help people, especially people who are, are dealing with trauma and addiction about the psychedelic underground, but I I don't really know much. I actually did tap into it. It was mainly through kind of networking and trying to research this. I don't feel like people Mm -hmm. really know that this is available. And I've spoken to you in the past where you said, you know, it's just, it's really hard to tap into because you don't know if someone is, is setting you up.
1: I oh, mean, I've, I've, I've absolutely had friends who have been actively set up. I mean, there's an attorney friend of mine who represents uh, a number of psychedelic clients, and he's told me some stories of of him being attempted to be set up. Uh, so it's you know, there freedom is precious. Right. Uh, and our I think our cognitive liberty is among the most precious. And that's why it's such an injustice that these sacred medicines have been outlawed for for so long. Um, So I I absolutely understand why individuals are uh, reluctant to really share, and that's why it was for me, it was really, it it was so special to be able to go public because this is work that we should be proud of. I mean, I'm I'm a mushroom cultivator, first and foremost, that's, you know, what really led me into the, the therapeutic application is, as a cultivator, then I had a lot of experience with the mushrooms that I grew and consumed. And then I felt a responsibility to share that with other people. And I've always taken great pride in the mushrooms. We care for them (laughs) very, very dearly. Uh, And then, you know, I care about my fellow man. So, so many of the people who are providing this therapy are just really compassionate, empathic people uh, that they should be they should be held in high regard. They should not be, you know, threatened with, you know, criminal punishment. It's 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 a horrible injustice.
0: And why do you think that um, there's this stigma around these these drugs? Mm-hmm. Why are people actively trying to dismantle this type of therapy uh, in medicine?
1: I think it's a great question. I don't I don't think it started with the therapy. And unfortunately, the science and, and the research is is helping to really expose the therapeutic use of these um you know there we we absolutely know that the nixon administration um outlawed cannabis and a lot of drugs to create a criminal class and much of that was done to subjugate minorities even further um you know i i don't really ascribe to the conspiracies that they're you know they're trying to prevent the evolution of humankind, or I I think it was just fear. I think it was Mm -hmm. just fear of the everyday people gaining power. No, no, gaining power. I mean, that's what we saw in the civil rights movement. Psychedelics were huge in the civil rights movement. And had had the population been able to continue to consume LSD and psilocybin like they had, or like they were, imagine where we would be right now. And so, while I don't think it was a conspiracy, I think there was a direct effort to, to thwart some of the social progress that we were making. And then, you know, all you got to do is make something illegal, and you put fear into the hearts of everyone. A couple generations goes, and all of a sudden, anybody that uses a mushroom is, you know, a bad person. They demonized hippies, they demonized the jazz musicians, you know, there was, there was a, a, a lot of misrepresentation and we know that that was intentional we know we absolutely know uh from the 40s the 30s 40s and 50s psilocybin and lsd dmt uh, very shortly after their use or discovery were being applied therapeutically there Mm -hmm. there is a lot of information um around this, a lot of it's been destroyed knowingly and willingly to be destroyed. Uh, but some of the stuff I've read, there's some fun, fantastic progress made um, with autistic children in the forties with LSD. Children like age five, six that were self mutilating, they couldn't speak and they were given massive doses of LSD like a thousand or 2000 micrograms of LSD. And after a couple of sessions, they, they were verbal and not harming themselves. And so there was tons of science then at the time, and evidence that showed how therapeutic and safe these medicines were. And uh, you know, all they did was made it a Schedule One. They made them the most illegal substances in the land, and then everybody's scared for their life, and rightfully so. Who wants to be put in a cage? You know, we're not animals, and um, that's kind of how it was made out that it, you know people who use these psychedelics are are you know somehow untamable. Mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, it's just purely not the case. I mean, myself, I've taken no less than 500 doses of psilocybin. I'm a father of four. I'm a very productive individual. Uh, you know, i love, love my culture. I love my people. I work hard. Uh, so, you know, fortunately there have been people through the years who have continued to stand up and say, we use these plants or we use these medicines and we have every right to do so. And now we're seeing the fruits of that, you know, as, as, decriminalization and some legalization starts to occur.
0: I know that you have told me that you've done a lot of work with first responders and, you know, mm-hmm. the African diaspora. Mm-hmm. Why were these groups important for you to focus on?
1: Well, you know, I've, uh, I grew up white, white man. I recognize my privilege. I went to school with, there was one African-American young man in my grade school. I went to a high school where there was the only, the only black person was a teacher and, um, And I don't know what it is about me, but there's always been something in me that has appreciated diversity. Uh, You know, I collect, like herpetology is my other love. Since I was a kid, I've hunted snakes, you know? So I've always loved the things that other people were afraid of uh, because I knew that they were not only harmless, but they were helpful, right? And then when I started, I started uh, teaching middle school in like 99, and i taught, you know, I intentionally went into a, a minority school and, uh, you know, I was dreadlocks and, you know, kind of, I've, I've identified more with Pan-Africanism than, you know, Eurocentric perspectives for a very long time. And when I was working in this middle school, it just, it struck me so blatantly, like, if we could start dosing the, the, these populations around, you know, 19 or 20, whenever the age is suitable... That we could really affect some massive social change i don't don't know if you've ever read or been exposed to the willie lynch letter uh, but that is a a treatise from a, a one of the most famous plantation owners on how to not only break you know african slaves but how to create a self-perpetuating cycle of slavery and he says when he wrote this or gave this speech in Washington DC or no is Virginia when he gave this speech in 1712 he said if we will follow this to the law then we will create at minimum 300 years of perpetual slavery and his prediction was true and I, you know i was actually teaching that <clears throat> that letter to my middle school students in 2012 300 years later, and they were all saying, like, wow, Mr. E, that's, what I, they're like, this is, this is really still going on. I got chills now. Uh, and so, you know, I know there's, obviously nobody's better than anybody else. We're all just people here, right? But mm-hmm. there has been a, uh, the same, the same misinformation that is behind racial or racism is the same misinformation that's behind discrimination of plants. Uh, so, you know, to marry these two kind of perspectives will drastically change society.
0: What is it that you feel that this, especially the, for the African diaspora, what is it that you feel like these psychedelics actually do?
1: Oh, that's really a big question. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not the, the response is not specific to a a culture really. Mm -hmm. Um, or an ethnicity i think that obviously the african diaspora has been some of the most traumatized on the planet period Mm -hmm. um and africa has been such a such a beacon of light to the world in so many ways and so you know not only is this our ancestral home but um you know this this is this is a place where ancient knowledge was found kemet and you know alexandria and all these great libraries and and we have a belief that somehow like the europeans came up with all the good ideas Uh, so you know it's basically just reprogramming but you know where i really want to get into this is when we start thinking about information that is stored in our dna Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know i don't know that we have a whole lot of hard science to look at this or talk about it Um, but I've had so many experiences and seen so much of this kind of cleansing of some of information that is stored in our genetic code I've worked with people like you mentioned holocaust survivors I've worked with people who were descendants of holocaust survivors and in their mushroom trips they would they would have the experience of their ancestors and they would they would feel and help process the pain so you know after working with psilocybin for all these years, I've kind of started to understand the human and not just the human, like all, all life, uh, all matter is all information. And humans are some of the um, most, the highest information processing systems that are on the planet. Uh, And so what I believe that psilocybin, and that's like, that's my specialty. I've worked with a lot of other psychedelics, but psilocybin is, is my thing. And what I, I really believe that psilocybin is, um, is, it's kind of a tool to help us more efficiently process information. And it doesn't, that doesn't always mean that you get specifics or that you're dealing with like, you know, concrete content. Um, right. But it's more of a
0: creative space, right?
1: Uh, creative it can be a destructive space you know you can you can burn out a lot I mean I've had you know there, there's a kind of a a theme or a motif that sometimes occurs where people are just like on fire you're just like burning with heat while on the mushrooms and that seems to me experiences as a kind of a destructive space that leaves space for more creativity so you know they're they're always hand in hand, right? Destruction and creativity, they all mm-hmm. creation, they, they they always go together. Um, but yeah, I just I just really have come to understand us as uh as information processing systems and psilocybin is uh kind of like running an antivirus in your computer, right? It's just like cleaning out all that junk that's running in the background. You know, we've got stuff. Mm-hmm. God, I mean, I like I said I grew up in backwoods of Kentucky, you know, a bunch of, you know moonshiners and and uneducated, you know, and uh, I feel like I know that I have a lot of this kind of trauma stored from my ancestors that I have experienced deeply processing. So I, if that makes any sense, you know, it's kind of abstract.
0: No, I, that makes complete sense to me. And I think that's interesting how you're talking about how, you know, when you were working with hol- Holocaust, um, uh survivor or descendants of Holocaust survivors, um, that they were able to kind of understand or feel that the experience of their ancestors, because when I actually did the MDMA um, assisted therapy, you know, I was sexually abused by my father as a child. And when I when when it started um, actually working, the first thing that 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 came up was I was just, it was like a movie was playing in my head and it was all of the different stories that I've heard about my father's childhood, Mm -hmm. um, you know, from, from everyone. And it was just, all of a sudden I began to understand that he was also kind of locked into this, um, Mm -hmm. this trauma where they normalize this type of behavior, um, where, you know, and I'm not saying that, and I, I do want to read it. I don't necessarily forgive him for what he did. I'm not, you know, but for the longest time, I was like, he absolutely knew what he was doing. You know, he was wrong and he's awful. And I was able to understand a lot more um, about what happened to my father. And and I and I can see what you're saying. That makes absolute sense. I don't know if it would make sense to someone who hasn't tried it, but mm-hmm. um. It it was it was eye opening, um, you know. I, I've talked to you about microdosing. Um, what are your thoughts about microdosing?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I think it can be helpful. I think there is really ripe for the placebo effect. Um, but you know, if someone feels like it benefits them, then more power to them. Uh, I uh, you know a microdose, a true microdose is considered to be a tenth of a gram of psilocybin, say, um, and that's completely sub perceptual. I find that uh, a more suitable microdose for me is something like a quarter to a half of a gram, where I can I can actually feel the presence of the medicine, and it allows me, you know, to kind of slow down and and look at things a little differently, or to just be a little bit more efficient. Um, so you know, it's the verdicts really out in science and in my opinion, uh, but we know that it's not doing any harm. So, you know, if, if someone feels like it benefits them, then, then go for it. I, I've absolutely seen profound benefit from micro dosing from, from larger doses, uh, you know, lives just changed in almost instantly. Uh, so that's where I think the payoff is really at, but that requires, you know, you know, care and, uh, preparation and and aftercare it's, it's psilocybin has been used recreationally and i think that there is actually you know significant value to using psilocybin recreationally it's way better for us than alcohol psilocybin is good for your brain we absolutely know that alcohol is a neurotoxin and we just let people use that like mm-hmm. crazy you know so i think people taking a gram or two of mushrooms and going to a concert is far better than someone drinking two or three beers and being at a concert uh, but you know we're still kind of trying to figure that out as a society there's this kind of either you're doing it therapeutically or you're doing it wrong you know and i i mm-hmm. don't really ascribe to that um i do wonder if you don't mind i'd love to ask you though you know you said you don't know that you've forgiven your father but i i'm interested if do you feel like you even want to do you do you feel like that's something you would
0: you know and i think that's that's the mental block i have i think i just don't want to I never thought that I would and mm-hmm. maybe that the MDma was trying to tell me like maybe she just you know forget I mean I'm not I, I don't talk to him I don't mm-hmm. see him you know I'm I mean my parents and I have never been really close mm-hmm. um but maybe that was the block I just i'm I've told myself I'm not gonna forgive him and you know and and that's that but yeah I don't i I do feel like there was a, a there was a little part of me that was just like okay I understand I don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. with like being around him or having a relationship with mm-hmm. him and having mm-hmm. him have have a relationship with my children, um, but I feel like I could move on better um, mm-hmm. just just with that comp- the the compassion I felt um, during the 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 therapy, mm-hmm. um, but yeah that's an interesting question.
1: So it's, it's, it's phases, right? I mean, there's no way that we can ever forgive anyone until we can understand where they're coming from. And I I fully believe that everyone has the, the right to be where they are when they are. And I, you know, I'm not asking this in any form of pressuring or anything like that. I have worked with a number of uh, sex abuse victims and I myself have, you uh, you know, had, had, some some history of friends attempting you know sexual acts on me and whatnot um and i have absolutely seen though that the real the real healing comes when people are able to forgive uh but that's it's that's just not that's not capable of happening until we can have empathy or understanding and i think it's it's also important to point out how vastly different MDMA and psilocybin are, mm-hmm. um, because because I don't want anybody kind of. You can never have any expectation about psilocybin. MDMA, mm-hmm. you can kind of expect how it's going to go. Psilocybin, it's got it's just ever changing. Um, I, I think working with those two tools, not necessarily at the same time, but with, in the same capacity, mm-hmm. uh, can be extremely helpful. Uh, you know, I worked with psilocybin for. For 20 years before I ever tried MDMA. And MDMA absolutely touched places and opened up areas that psilocybin had never touched. Um, but working with them kind of together over the course of a few months, it was some amazing progress. Uh, so if you haven't been working with psilocybin therapeutically uh, since your MDMA experience, you may find that. If you go back into a psilocybin experience, it's going to, more than likely, there's going to be, it's going to be a more visceral encounter with whatever Mm -hmm. is there, right? Um, But like that is a, it's a very powerful um, kind of space to step into and then to to find your own ground in that space and like how, how can we even forgive if we don't feel a hundred percent certain in who we are, right? Because I think that's a lot for for myself. Anyway, when I've found myself resisting forgiveness, it's a lot of times, an aspect of that has been that I was not solid in myself, I was afraid if I forgave someone that had harmed me that I'm going to allow harm to come back in. So, you know, there's like this really beautiful dance that we do of accepting way that things are and then also not accepting the way that things are and that we're going to change things. We're going right. to, you know, create a new future. So I, I just really, I I really commend you for being so open about your own experience and then just having this podcast that talks about something that so many people are just, just ashamed and afraid to talk about the trauma and we all have it. Every mm-hmm. single one of us, even like my wife and I just had a, had our uh, second child. And uh, she was a home birth and it was, I've had four children, this fourth one, the only home birth, it was phenomenally different. Mm -hmm. And you could see that the child itself had such a smoother transition. And, you know, she's three weeks old now. She is so much more laid back than my other children. It's, It's observable. And you think about when we're born, in this hospital setting and mm-hmm. you know, you're ripped out of this warm womb of your mother. And then you're like taken over in the bright lights and it's mm-hmm. beeping and you're weighed and you're cold and they're poking and maybe eventually, you know, in the next 10 minutes you get to go back to your mom or whatever, that's trauma. That is absolutely trauma that we are experiencing from go. And and so like, we, we really need to talk about this as a mm-hmm. culture. So that we can then start to change things.
0: I do have friends who have had planned home births, and their children are much chiller. Um, <laughs> right. um, but yeah, and I think that they actually, even the mother, um, felt more comfortable being in their own space. and mm-hmm, that, so that mm-hmm. that makes sense. Well, congratulations! Three weeks. Nice. Wow. thank you. So
1: um, even even think think about television, right? Mm -hmm. our our subconscious does not know the difference between what we see and what we experience really and so you know when we're watching you know violent television shows or we're listening to violent music and especially children that are getting exposed to this that is trauma it's it's traumatic and until again we start to really talk about Mm -hmm. the everyday realities then we're it's not going to change we're just going to keep on passing down trauma and i'm personally, I'm sick of it, you know, I mean, I, we're, we're all trying to recover from all the stuff that's happened, and I just feel like it's just, I just feel like it's time, I feel like it's time that we really start to address the reality of what we're putting each other through, you know, mm-hmm. war, this whole, like, thing that's going on with, that's been going on with the the political thing, like, that's traumatic, it's, yeah. it's all, you know, and so, like, anyway, I don't know, I just appreciate you bringing this topic up, you know, publicly, discussing these issues.
0: Well, there's, there's the stigma around something that is extremely helpful. You know, mm-hmm. I personally have experienced, I know that you have, and I've known a couple people who have also experienced an enlightening because of it, you know, and mm. they're able to create more fulfilling life for themselves because they know what, mm. you know, they're able to address. You can't really, you know, ad- you know, move forward with, forward without addressing the past. Right. Absolutely. It's like, that's that's I think that's the number one thing. And a lot of people think they can just, you know, quiet that that their past and all of a sudden they can move forward. But it comes out in so many different ways. Mm. It comes out mm. in, you know, like you're saying, in addiction and depression, anxiety. Um, but it's it's trying to get to the root of where it all kind of started, Um, and even if it happened generations prior. So I I think that's extremely important.
1: It had me thinking about Jamaica and the work that, so I I started going to Jamaica in 2003, because I just love Jamaica. That's, that's been my link to Africa, right? I mean, Marcus Garvey, the Black Star Liner, all of that, I studied all that. And, um, you know, I went to Jamaica, because I just love the people. And being down there, I started to like even some of my close to making friends will talk about how people will not talk about trauma. They will not talk about it. It's just the stoicism and, and alcoholism is rampant, you know, and you start to work with a few people here and there and you're feeding them mushrooms and, and like, they start to process all of that history. And it's that, that is a, uh, that culture has been something of a, a little Petri dish for me to understand really understand the, the effects of this generational trauma that uh is is the remnant of uh you know this this racism i don't even talk about slavery it's just it's, it's not even really racism because there is only one race right i keep come there's it, it is it is ethnocentrism whatever you want to call it and that's another thing that i would love for us to, as a society to kind of really start talking about differently i get so aggravated when i hear people talk about you know what race are you or the races it's just like <laughs> You know that's yes yeah. that's, that's fir- further traumatizing every time you say that you're separating us
0: right and there is yeah. no
1: there is no separation not only is there no separation between the ethnicities there's no separation between any of this we're we're mm-hmm. looking at what we think is a physical world and and quantum physics and the psychedelic states and will help us see that it's actually like more like a plasma that is all interconnected and so this enlightening that you talk about as we start to understand our true nature, then we can let go of these old ideas of who we are.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you just said. I think that was that was a really great way of putting it. I want to go back to what you were talking about with your, this this sanctuary or this church, this psychedelic church. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about this?
1: That is the history of psilocybin. The the oldest set of cave paintings that we know of on Earth depict psilocybin mushrooms. Not mushrooms, psilocybin mushrooms, like psilocybin simulensiata, the, the grass-dwelling mushroom that grows around cattle. And in this cave painting, there are cows and there are these mushrooms. And obviously, this was a very important thing to whoever left this. Uh, mark and as you go through human history you can see cross-culturally that psilocybin mushrooms have been the primary sacrament for accessing divinity right or this this
0: cosmic consciousness
1: spirituality energy whatever we want to call it you know the celtics the africans uh the asians the south americans north america all over the world you can find historical evidence of psilocybin and Amanita muscaria mushrooms being used as a shamanic tool or sacrament and even in uh gnostic christianity there's a ton of uh, murals and mosaics there's a book that was, just came out a couple of years ago uh the psychedelic gospels i think is what it's called uh where this art historian went through around the world and took pictures of cathedrals that had mushrooms in the stained glass or in the mosaics and it's everywhere it's everywhere and so before i started Myco meditations i was actually in the process of starting a psilocybin church uh, because it has been my sacrament. I mean, you know, when I got, he started out taking mushrooms and you don't know, and it's like, you're having a good time. And then it's like, everything opens <laughs> up and time goes on and you start to have a, you know, there's the, the story of Christ. Uh, many suggest, and there are historians that through uh, etymology and the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, maintain that, The story of Christ is actually a metaphor for a psilocybin trip and I have absolutely had numerous psilocybin trips where you know that's that's what I became. Um, And so there's even a really neat painting of Jesus standing in front of the disciples in the garden of gethsemane the story where he the transfiguration where he became the god in front of them or whatever or showed his divine self <clears throat> and in this very very old like 12th century uh, depiction it shows the the christ figure surrounded by mushrooms in the garden of gethsemane right so there is there, there there's no argument in my mind in my world that that psilocybin was not the primary sacrament and even growing up catholic like now i see all the symbolism and i'm like oh this is what they were this is actually what they were you know portraying i mean you take a little bitty waiver, you take it and all of a sudden you're supposed to like experience god even even the aztec mayan and incan uh called uh the the sacred mushrooms they called them the flesh of god right before the catholics came over they were calling it the flesh of god and so um the, I don't know, I don't know what aspect you really want to know, about. that's kind of the historical thing. Now, move us to where we are today. Uh, you know, fortunately, Kentucky, some of its discriminatory policies are wrapped up in uh, this Religious Freedom and Restoration Act, and what it actually allows for uh, is for, uh, you know, it does allow for some discrimination, for sure, but it also allows for people like me, who have a sincere faith in this sacrament, to be able to use that without discrimination. So it's kind of a catch 22 thing. Uh, you know, that's the whole thing was like, there was a some kind of organization here didn't want to serve gay people food, right? It was a Christian. I don't know, cake maker or something. I don't know. Uh, and yes, I do. yeah, <laughs> and so like, they they came up with this. Okay, well, it's your religion. It's your religious right to do whatever you want, and treat people however you want. Well, okay, well, then it's my religious right to use this mushroom as the sacrament that it is. Uh, and so, that's what we're doing, and there's there's a couple of there's a couple of uh, churches around the country that are doing this already. There's a few that are using ayahuasca sacramentally, um, and I, I truly think that that's going to be a very important part of moving, particularly psilocybin forward uh, socially, and that eventually, we're going to find out that it doesn't really belong in the realm of psychiatry. And I know that's probably going to rub a lot of people the wrong way, and that's okay. It's taken me a long time to get there as well. Um, but this is not, you know, science is always trying to break things down into the smaller parts and understand the mechanics of it. And that's what we're doing with psilocybin right now. We're like, you know, uh, neurologically, here's what's going on. And, blah, blah, blah. and all of that's, you know, that matters, right? But what really matters is that psilocybin will take you to a place that words cannot go.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is the divine. That mm-hmm. is where creation comes. That is the void. That is the dark matter. That is the thing that we don't. It, it's just the big I don't know. And so we are missing. We are missing the mystical in our lives. And science, as much as I love science, in in large part is leaving out the mystical. And it's an arrogance right like if we keep thinking like we know and we keep breaking everything down and we can keep labeling it this is what it is and you know thank god for quantum sciences because they keep showing us that we keep going down down and down and down and down and down and there's no end And we keep going out and out and out and out and there's no end you know so bringing bringing the mystical experience and it doesn't have to be a you know, a certain religion. There doesn't have to be a dogma to it. That's the beautiful thing about it, is there is no dogma. And our, our church is a non-hierarchical, non-dogmatic. There is no leader. I may be one of the foundational members, but I'm not the leader. This is a community of faith in the healing power of the sacrament of psilocybin mushrooms. And so it's uh it's a very exciting thing that I've been, you know, for years, even with Maiko, I never felt like I could really talk about psilocybin in the way that i understand it and experience it because people were had this you know perception of our organization as a science therapeutic center and in many ways it was but what they didn't know is that the the root of all of my work is this mystical
0: i feel like it all blends together right just like absolutely. it's all interconnected um, absolutely I think the work that you are doing is amazing. I feel like people should have access to this. I do wanted to to ask you, how do people? I mean, I know this is currently in the works, but and and actually something I want to touch on briefly. You know, you also talk about community. Community mm-hmm. is important when you know community. when when you're doing psilocybin, especially when you're working with people who. Um, are dealing with the same issues because mm-hmm. you know it's like the, you know me too. I'm dealing with that too. Can you talk a little bit about community and the importance of of support in that space?
1: Yeah, I think I think that the community is far more important than the therapist. And I love therapists. I've got lots of friends who are therapists. I work with therapists. I am you know please do not think that I'm discrediting therapists. I see therapists, um, but I have seen the community support be far more impactful than going down and sitting and talking through your experience with a therapist, you having someone that, like you said, that can mirror, that can identify, that can feel your pain and not have to have that kind of professional barrier where, Oh, I can't hug you or I can't, (laughs) we've got to cry together. We've got to hug each other. We've got, you know, now we're in this society is like, you know, even more isolated and I spent probably 10 years doing psilocybin almost almost always by myself. And I made more progress in three years working with groups than I made in 10 years Mm -hmm. working by myself a hundred percent. And so again, we are all one. We're all, we're just one thing on this one thing trying to understand itself better. And so the community, the community is vital. It is absolutely 50%. If you're taking psychedelics and you're not engaging in a community atmosphere where you can process the experience, because you'll have You'll have some weird stuff go down and you, you know, you need people to bounce things off of, or you'll have things come up that you really, you know, you need to, you need to have that vulnerability and that safe space. And just like as much as therapists can and do help, particularly American therapy. I've worked with a French therapist uh, in Jamaica who was phenomenal. And one of the things that she was, what made her so good is that they don't have that kind of professional rigidity. Right. It's like, you know, she was just very hands on. She was not afraid to hug somebody when they were crying and not to, to make someone feel or help someone feel like they were a part of something bigger than themselves. You know, so it's hugely important. And I think we're going to I'm confident we're going to see that. And again, I think that's where institutions like these kind of spiritual organizations, spiritual communities are going to be even more effective than you know the the $10,000 therapy that's going to be happening in Oregon where you know you go and sit with two therapists while you're on mushrooms and they're just looking at you monitoring you and then you come out and you talk about your experience. And, you know that can be beneficial for sure that can be beneficial. Um, but I'm confident the time is going to tell that nature community and dose are crucial to the progress made with psilocybin.
0: Wow. Well, you know, even as you know, this type of therapy becomes available nationwide, accessibility will still be limited. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of where you step in, right? With um...
1: hopefully, yeah, hopefully. I mean, you know, they're they're saying that uh, the MDMA and psilocybin sessions are going to be like ten grand for the preparation, integration, and one. But you know. And just like community acupuncture, I go to community acupuncture. You know, if I was if I go to an acupuncturist, I'm gonna spend like two or three hundred dollars. But if I go to community acupuncture where everybody's kind of pitching in together, I get treated for like thirty to fifty bucks, right? Mm -hmm. So not only do I get the treatment, I also get the community. I also get to feel like I'm part of something bigger, and there's more learning that goes on. Uh, And it's a it's a whole lot cheaper. Right, (laughs) right. Mushrooms are so not easy, but you know they're pretty easy to grow. They're pretty cheap to produce. And, um, I'm not, I'm not, I have no problem with people getting paid for their work. I mean, I, I want to get, you know, I want to be compensated for the work that I do. I work very hard for people. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I'm not sure that, um, you know, when, when we've got psychedelic companies that are raising, you know, 20 or $30 million and they're not doing anything yet, it's just an idea. Mm. I'm not sure that's really the right direction or a sustainable direction. Mm.
0: Well, is there anything else that you would like to add before I let you let you go?
1: Uh, no, I don't. I don't guess so. I Just you know, I always want people to to be safe with psilocybin. Um, it is toxicologically; it's exceedingly safe. You cannot overdose from psilocybin, but you you know, I've taken some very high doses, and still to this day the six gram dose that I took, which was not by any means the highest dose. I took a six gram dose that I thought was just going to be, you know, easy, breezy, completely shredded my world. Like I, Mm -hmm. I, I had to talk myself out of driving myself to the hospital. I had a, I had a dose again, like I've got so much experience and I had a dose a year and a half ago, seven grams that it literally, if I had not, if I had not conditioned myself to ride it out, to just, hang on and ride it out. I was convinced that the only way to get myself out of this prison planet hologram that I was in was to kill myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And so while these are very safe medicines, the experience can be profound. It can be terrifying. It can be blissful and you just don't know. And if you take psilocybin, especially these higher doses, you've got to do it with someone that Mm -hmm. has experience with the medicine. That's another thing that's happening in the therapeutic world. You know, right now um, they're, you know, they're saying that a therapist should only take, only needs to take like one dose of psilocybin before they can administer mushrooms. And, you know, I've had a lot of therapists come on retreats that were freaked out by what they saw. And I had to tell, I had to help them understand, like, this is how this medicine works sometimes. And sometimes, like I had one young man, who had been sexually traumatized he'd been raped by other young men and in his mushroom trip god i could almost cry i think of this guy right now but in his trip he started to think like everyone's gonna rape me right and the only the only thing the only thing that brought him any security is that he could look me in the eyes and when i when i told him that i had been there before that i understood how he felt that he was safe like he knew that i was he knew that I was being true and because your senses, you know, you're so one of the, one of the physiological things that psilocybin does is it shuts down the prefrontal cortex, which is the information filter, right? So you have so much more available information, your intuition and your, you know, your your senses are so much heightened. And if the person that is administering you, the medicine has any fear or has any kind of shadiness to them, you're going to pick yeah. that up. You're going to pick mm-hmm. that up. And so if you do not feel hundred percent confident in the person that you are supposed to be taking this medicine with, then don't do it because right. it, you you can come out of the experience more traumatized than you went into it. Right.
0: Yeah. That's so, definitely something to really, just a word about.
1: of caution. Yeah, Yeah.
0: absolutely. I think it's a lot, to, it has a lot to do with your, your mindset and your setting where you are and who you're absolutely,
1: with. absolutely, absolutely.
0: Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining me on a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast.
1: Thank you, Laura Lee. I really, really appreciate the work you're doing.
0: Thank you. Well, I appreciate the work you're doing. Uh, that was Eric Osborne, psilocybin expert and founder of Pledge. If you would like to learn more about him and Pledge, please visit a TSTpodcast.com. That's the letter A, Uh You can also find all my social media platforms there as well. So please follow um, to get more information from me and subscribe to my magazine, Authentic Insider. Um, you can get that in your email each month if you subscribe. Eric is actually going to be contributing for April's issue. So you don't just yeah. that. Thank uh-huh. you for being a part of the conversation. I'm Lori Lee Binstock. Take care.